This is Innovating a Bright Future. Hello and welcome. I hope you're doing well at whatever time on whatever day you're listening to this. And as always, I'm your host, Avery Kreiwalt, with Innovating a Bright Future. This is the show where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Today's episode features Nick LeBlanc. He's currently developing a web interface that's kind of similar to a social media site like Facebook or Twitter that focuses entirely on developing infrastructure. This means more input from the public on what type of infrastructure should be developed and how it should be done. If you're wondering what infrastructure is, all will be revealed soon, so listen up and enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Nick LeBlanc. You're an electrical engineer by education, but you seem to have found more success and more purpose in managing and developing projects. You've worked as a consultant for a while now, a sustainability consultant, and you are the executive director of My Living City, which is what we're going to talk about today. You're also a fellow podcaster. You run the podcast called Road to Zero. So from my understanding, My Living City is a community platform focused on designing, organizing, and completing community projects that benefit members of the community and allow for a more sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, totally. So I, w- I would call more My Living City, is, it's, it's really an organization that's really there to support and create this platform as, as kind of a flagship product, if you will. Our mission is really to have the transformation of cities into a place that's you know regenerative, sustainable, works better for, for the, the human population as well as the environment. What we're focusing on is our community discussion platform. So it's really giving us space where anybody in the community can just pitch an idea, share some ideas, interact on the ideas, and, and actually eventually end up working together on projects to actually make them happen. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting concept and something that we don't see around very much so far. I should mention that you're stationed in Victoria, BC, right? That's where you're working so far. And My Living City is primarily being implemented in that city. But obviously, if it grows and it starts gaining traction and everything like that, it'll expand past the boundaries of that city onto more cities, more communities and everything like that. That's the plan. We're definitely, this is where our network is. And so of course, we're going to start on our local community because that's where connections are. But, but really, this is really being designed so that you can literally put any community on the system. Once you have that kind of system up, then it can be implemented really wherever. So let's start with what really is infrastructure? One of the things that My Living City focuses on is infrastructure, developing infrastructure. So what is infrastructure and why is it so important? Yeah, really infrastructure is that is that piece of that physical environment that allows us to do things. You know, you've got everything from the I guess the municipal infrastructure, your you know, your your sewers, your piping, your water, your parks, your services. And there's also the natural infrastructure if you want to look at that, the actual trees, the streams. It's a really big word. 
and why this is interesting with the community aspect is that infrastructure is really linked to the group that really manages it, which is the city, usually the city council, the township council. So there's usually an entity that kind of has some ownership, you know, they zone things, there's rules on what you can do, and there's a process of what you have to do to be able to change it. But really, it's the space we live in. And, and depending what this infrastructure does or how it's shaped, it'll really shape the community. So, so that's why it's so important, because if you look at communities, you know, have a higher degree of having more sustainability or happiness, there's something about their infrastructure that allows that, you know, they might have more parks, they have more civic spaces, they have places where these services can happen, maybe they have daycares, some restaurants and shops, and some of those spaces might be private, not necessarily municipal. So there's a mix. Yeah, it's really that physical form around us that really enables and affects how we live. As you say, that affects everyone from where we're living and how we're living to transportation and everything that we see around us is pretty much infrastructure. And that's being managed by one entity right now, which is kind of where my living city is trying to change that, right? Is you're coming in to give voices and opinions to the people that infrastructure is directly impacting, which is really cool. It seems when you say that, it seems like it should always be like that. Yeah, it's a good point. Some examples of you have these Every so often, the process gets opened up where you've got, you know, these public hearings, public meetings. But the crazy part is not everybody can fit in the room, you know? So there's really a, a limitation of how much you can involve the whole city. There's ways we try to do it. We try to do some uh, engagement or this and that. But our idea is, well, 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 we've got the technology now to bring everybody to the same conversation. What would that look like? We're not focusing on being a democratic platform there's, there's a lot of other stuff out there but really what we're trying to create is more is more a larger version of that i like to say the coffee com- conversation you know when you're in a coffee shop there's a bunch of residents that get together and around a table and they start talking about some ideas oh i'll be cool if we did this so imagine if we could bring that conversation to the entire community get people really thinking about big ideas and then what we're going to implement in there is a lot of uh, what we call community gauging to get an idea of how much support does this idea have or this idea and which is the top 10 idea? Because you might have like, there's so many ideas, but which ones are the ones that, are, that capture the community interest, that people are really behind, where it's, it's not just a small group that like it, you know, you capture that momentum. And then how then you bring that to the next step? That all sounds pretty good, but how does it actually work? Well, you'd have to talk to Nick to find out for sure. But from my understanding, My Living City is going to be an online interface that can be accessed over the web and through an app. This app will be similar to popular social media sites like Facebook, but adapted to support community infrastructure discussions. Instead of likes, there would be an upvote button along with a function that would elevate a post to proposal phase once it gets enough attention. The city would be able to analyze the site and decide what to build based on the site's feedback. The most important thing about the platform is that it will be completely open. All ideas are welcome and anyone can participate, either by proposing new plans or upvoting established plans. Nick talks about the exact process of how a post would function later on, so I'll let him explain the rest of how his own app works. Right now in development, I mean, there's definitely, if you're a private person and you're doing private development, like you're developing this property, that property, there's a process. But how do we change public infrastructure? There's not a clear-cut process. It's really having to bring the idea to the municipality, and then hopefully someone on the council really likes the idea, and then they'll actually put some energy behind, okay, going to talk to the people in the city. And then you deal with a lot of issues where the, the, you know, there's only so much bandwidth in the municipality. 
it was really cool because when when I came up with this idea, there was a lot of people posting stuff on Facebook. This would be cool. And actually, I had a chance to talk to the mayor of Esquimalt. And it was really like, wow, there's a lot of these great ideas, but we only have like so much manpower in the municipality to drive these ideas. So they have to try to figure out, okay, what does the community really want? What does this community support? And there's only so much money the community gives the city because no one wants to pay more taxes than you need to. So there's only so much money to play with. Again, not that it's designed to be a closed process, but it kind of is in a way, right? Like, so it's, you need to inspire someone who's in that system. And, and if there's resources or not, it really depends. So what we're trying to do is break that open in a way where, hey, let's get the community thinking of something in a way to actually gather a big group of people together. And I think what would really be important is, is that piece of resources. So if we can actually encourage people not just to share ideas and come up with ideas and figure out what are the top ideas, but our site's also designed to invite people to actually be leaders of those ideas. So we've got what we call a, an idea phase, but it's how do you get an idea to actually be something that happens on the ground? So when something gets really popular, the site will actually create some new options where someone can champion an idea. That's really what it takes. It's someone to champion it. Someone that, that clicks here and they actually pitch, okay, this is how I see this to be realized. And hey, I'm going to be the one to lead it. Who wants to join me? And then people can actually click and join the team. And then all of a sudden, you've got a different ball rolling, right? Because then you, have, you actually got people that can drive the idea. Like when you think of an infrastructure or a systematic process that you want to implement in a city, how is someone going to do that? No one really knows. How do you make a community garden? How do you say, I want a small solar farm that can power the rec center down the road? No one really knows how to say that or bring that to bear. So that's something that My Living City is really working towards. And that's that's really cool. And that's a great way to get the community involved in something that impacts them so directly. Because often, you, if you look at the communities that have been more successful in having some of that community development, you often have like a, a strong called residence association or some kind of groups that have that structure where you've got a bit of a leader, you've got a groups of people, you've got some resources and some connection to the cities. A lot of the big projects that I see have been done is a bunch of volunteers got together behind a community uh, organization like that that's got some pull with the municipalities. And because there's so much interest and you, there's literally a group pushing the city towards this direction, then the city kind of turns on, okay, we'll give you some resources and we'll start looking at it. So you kind of need to, to have that there. When that's not there, it's really hard for like a one person to put their hand up and say, hey, I'll get this done. And then the hope is having this kind of platform. You can start putting these people together that, you know, people have ideas and other people that, you know what, I would love to do something and I don't know what to do and what would make a difference. And, you know, and someone could say, I don't have time, but I have this cool idea. And, and also the community starts to, you know, get something together and, and maybe this will be you know, kind of an online type of community organization living through this kind of platform where you can literally create this virtual entity where, you know, groups of people will look for projects to do and, and hopefully this will drive a lot of development inside the community. When you make a community, when you organize people together, there's always going to be those who rise to the top and they want to get stuff done. And there's going to be those people who are maybe in the background too, who have these great ideas, but they don't have time or they don't have energy or they don't really know how to do it but they have this great idea that they want to start. So combining those two together is exactly what you need to get these kind of projects done, right? And there's the other piece of two of like the, the experts in the background as well. They might not necessarily be involved, but they might have, hey, I can answer that question or I can connect you to someone that does. That's the cool thing when you start creating a team, because again, as individuals, we can only do so much. And anything big, you, you really need to put together a fairly big team of you know different groups of backgrounds and knowledge. 
And when you start having the ability to do that, that's kind of where the magic starts happening. Things really get fast. Things start rolling. The people that want to do something at the time also have the information they need and the support. So really what we're envisioning is how do you develop that to actually bring all that together inside of a kind of a systemic way. Building out new infrastructure is no easy task, even for a municipal government. Imagine how difficult it is for an individual. These projects often include permits, regulations, and rules from multiple sectors or institutions, many you've probably never even heard of. It also requires expertise in a variety of industries, an incredible amount of resources, manpower, money, building materials, and time. All of this has been, historically, close to impossible for any one person to work through, which makes My Living City even more important because it involves communities and ensures that every voice is heard when making decisions that affect the entire population. I'm big into projects. I love projects, and I've had a big background. So we really want to even design that in the system where you've got the steps of how do you get a project from idea phase to the point you're actually breaking ground and actually starting to make the change. Exactly. That's a great goal to have. How is My Living City actually doing that? What is your kind of process to get these people together and get them excited about something and then get them to that stage where they're breaking ground? What's kind of the process between those all those steps? Well, there are just two ways I can answer that question. I guess the first one I'll, I'll talk about like the, the in the design of the system of how we're doing that. And I can t- tell you a bit of how we've actually been building My Living City to get there. Really, the first word is that ideation platform that's connected to your community. So think of it as almost like there's multiple sandboxes. So depending on which community you live in, you'll be in that community sandbox, right? Because it's really a primarily a conversation between the residents and the municipality you live in. That's kind of that dynamic that has things happen. So the idea is not just owned by the person who put it out there. Once you put it out there, it literally belongs to the community. So people can add to it. They can talk amongst them, each other. Maybe by the end of the process, the idea is completely different. It went somewhere else. But that's kind of the idea. And once you have an idea like that, what we want to do is then really create an invitation for someone to say, okay, who wants to champion this? So literally a button will pop up where there was one before called champion. And you'll see like the top 10 ideas and the site can hey, we're looking for a champion for this idea. Who would like to make it happen? And based on the feedback, they'll spell out how they see it happening. And then people can actually join in as part of the team. Then you go in a, what they call proposal phase. So you spell out how you'll make it happen, what you need. People can comment, give you more feedback. And it gets voted up. Do people like this proposal? Is there community support behind your proposal? And that's when the city will start to take notice to see, oh, wow, that there's a lot of people liking this idea. Now let's look at what they're proposing. And then the city can actually add their own comments and say, great idea. You'll have to talk to Bill at the Parks Department start to nudge those people towards how to do it. And then you get to a point where, you know, the city's liking it, you've got people, they've got an idea, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're, we're going. And then it becomes a project. And then on the site, we'll, we'll have this listed as a project. The team can actually give some updates for it. So there's a whole conversation that keeps going and then circle it down to the idea, okay, it's, it's complete and this is what we did. We definitely want to build a site with kind of those project management best practices. So they literally got a structure guide them the whole way through. Now, the other part of the question is, okay, how are we getting from this idea to actually getting this realized in the world? So it's been about a two-year journey. We were lucky enough to get involved with a, a local group in Victoria called the, uh, the Design Nerd. It's a really cool group of volunteers, and they love to get a bunch of people together with an idea and flesh it out. And, and it was kind of a question of how do you build an app that can do this? 
And then we we locked in. It was a conversation I was having with someone at Kamosom College that they have this cool program called their capstone. So these students have these these two-year programs, like this particular one was in computer engineering. And at the end of it, they have this this real-world project. So they basically get a client, they have tree mines, and they build something for them. So I had a team of, uh, I think, tree students for the first one. And they literally started building this thing. So I was basically, this is what I'm looking to build. Like, okay. So they spent three months. They built the first phase of it. And then we came back the next year, got another team. So they built another chunk of it. What we saw, what we learned in the process is this needs to be a bit of an open construct because you're going to have a team in and out. So we, we made it way more stable. We did a whole bunch of actually videos to onboard the new team. And now we have our, our third team from Comosin who's really going to bring us to that release. So we're looking about sometime before the fall to, to actually release it to the general public. Uh, within about a month, we'll probably do a bit of a beta release. So if anybody's listening that they would love to play with this, give us some feedback, get in touch with me because we'd love to have a couple people just really test drive it and work with our, our student developers, giving some feedback. Because I really wanted to follow the model of, let's see what we can build in the community. Yeah, releasing in the fall and then start onboarding our first couple communities and really going from there. It's great to see that coming together and all the things kind of working together to bring this this site to life that's going to get those communities involved in something that they've kind of been shut out of for the past little bit. Because there is this concept of being shut out. And really what I invite people to look at, it's not so much that. It's just like the system was never designed for how we do things, right? And now we have this technology where we can actually bring everybody in the process. It's been a very delegated process. Once in a while, you vote, you appoint someone, and they do it on your behalf. And we've never had really a good process because we've never had a room you can fit everybody in. So it's really hard to bring everybody in. We've got the opportunity of taking this new technology and actually bring everybody in and figure out how we can actually do that because it's never been really possible before. Once these projects get to that kind of groundbreaking phase, they've got the idea, they've developed the idea, the community's given their input. They've decided this is what they want to do. Then the resources for that and the permits and the all the cost of it, does that come from the city? Are they the ones that are actually developing the project? It's a bit of a mix. If I look at how it how it usually is, how it usually is if there's like a civic thing, definitely the city has a, a certain budget, so they'll put some money to it. Sometimes you might have people donating something. That's why sometimes you have a nice little stone with someone's name on it because they, you know, they put some money to it. And sometimes it's just people donating their time and effort, you know, like, hey, I've got a backhoe, I'll, I'll go over and do that. So that's kind of how it would happen. That's the traditional model. And if you're lucky, sometimes you get a government grant because someone's smart, they can fill out a grant and get some money for the community. So there's all sorts of funding out there. So I think the funding won't change too much. Or if anything, it'll create more opportunities to bring that private investment to it, right? Because all of a sudden people get the idea, they get involved in it. So you might have more, you know, more businesses pitch it in, extend what the municipality can usually do. And the and another piece we want to add to that, because the, the way we're designing My Living City, it's really, it's uh, really that view of the community enterprise, right? Where the shareholders are literally the communities. So that's where the benefit flows. So we're hoping to, you know, we're we're building this, we're a nonprofit. So we've been, you know, we've been lucky with a couple of grants. We've got lots of great volunteers, almost a GoFundMe layer on top of this, where if you like this project, do you want to put money towards it? That would really enable a lot more things to happen because really in the end of the world, the municipality has limited budget and only so many people. And and really when you talk to a lot of them, like they're busy, right? Because there's so many projects happening just like everywhere else, right? They only have so much capacity. So by actually having the community stand up and really put together teams for what they want to see, 
And if we can even have a financial component that can get raised, then all of a sudden it, it really it's a multiplication factor in what that municipality is able to deliver. It's not all falling back to the governments. We're not just going to come together and say, this is what we want. Everyone agrees. Now shell out some cash to make it happen. It's kind of a combined effort, which is, as you say, that's going to make it even more efficient in what the program can do instead of just relying on the money and resources coming straight from the government, which is kind of tough to do. And that's why it doesn't work in the past because, you know, you sometimes you get that us versus them mentality comes in because literally these municipalities, they're, they're great people. And a lot of them worked off their feet. They'd love to have more projects and people don't want to pay more taxes. So you're kind of in this this weird Really, we're the city. We're the ones paying for it. So unless we want to either donate to it or pay more in taxes, there's a really hard limit of what can come out of that municipality. So part of what will make this work better is that partnership. It's really creating a partnership with the people that we've appointed to be the stewards of our of our lands or our municipality and the people that live there. And it's really finding a better way to create a better, more stronger relationship. And, and part of that's communication, right? If the city knows more clearly what the people want, what they can set their priorities towards it. So when this gets to be online and we start developing projects, what sectors is this going to impact in terms of infrastructure and what kind of projects are going to be created? And why is it important to get the community involved in these? Yeah, really good question. And almost, I'm almost excited to see what people are going to come up with. Because this idea is not necessarily novel or unique. There's a couple of cities that have done stuff like this before. For example, there's a, there's a bunch of hackers in Reykjavik in Iceland that just built a site where people can post ideas. And the city actually took it over and said, well, this is a great idea. We'll, we'll get that for feedback. Infrastructure has been something that individuals within a community have in the past not been very involved in. If you live near Calgary, I'm sure you know of the giant blue ring on the 96th Ave Bridge. Traveling light, as it's called, is closer to art than infrastructure, I guess. But it's an analogy, okay? It's fine. Don't worry about it. You may be surprised to hear that it actually was five citizens who curated it, but it does seem like everyone else pretty much hates it. So by opening up the realm of developing these projects, more citizens could give their input and their feedback instead of just the five people who got lucky and got chosen to spend almost $500,000 on a circular lamppost. This can be expanded to every project, because a community knows itself better than the planners at City Hall ever could. While a city may propose a children's park on one street, some individuals could speak up to let them know that there are too many homeless people in the area, or it's too dangerous, and suggest a street corner a few blocks away that would serve better. This will be essential in developing infrastructure that serves the people, which should always be the goal. With increased awareness of environmental issues, it will give citizens the power to speak up to advocate for and suggest ideas for renewable energy infrastructure, local sustainable agriculture, and more efficient transportation systems, among many other things. And a cool concept that you're starting to see a lot of places is are what we call participatory budgets. So where the city kind of says, hey, we've got X amount of money and we're going to let you guys decide where you want us to put it and see really what this community wants. And I think you'll find from community to community, it'll be really, really different, right? Because you'll have different geographies, different issues, and it'll be kind of fun to see what comes up. That's great to hear. Yeah, it'll be, it will be very interesting to see what people come up with for sure. 
Well, I think that's about everything, kind of the longer questions that I have for you, but I have just a couple short ones that I want you to answer as fast as you can. Can you do that? Sure. Okay, the first question I have is, what's most important, policy, technology, or economics? Ooh, you, <laughs> that's a hard one. Yeah, I would say it's hard. It's hard. Like, yeah, I think you find out, you need to find a way to bring all three together, I think, because it's, it's, they're very interdependent. So it's really hard to say what would be because one will drive another. I'm kind of using that cat where I like the holistic piece. In some ways, I guess policy will help drive economy. So, I mean, you, you really got to have a, that well taught out. So maybe I'll, I'll maybe focus a bit more on that one. Having smart policy will, will definitely move stuff along. Yeah, that seems to be a, a common answer is we need all of it together. But that's interesting that the policy is kind of the one we need to focus just a little bit more on policy because that is kind of the thing that comes first, right? Yeah, and if you have bad policy, you'll really get in the way from a lot of things to happen. Okay, the second question that I have is, what is your favorite project that you've worked on? Hmm, worked on a lot of projects. I have a boat, so you could call that maybe a, a continual project. Uh, but right now, I'm actually uh, researching how to put a, a solar array on it and the whole power system go with it. So I'm quite enjoying that project. So that's uh, bring myself some some energy independence. So I can kind of go where I go and not having to worry about having to plug somewhere or fire up a nosy generator energy independence but <laughs> being on a boat you have quite a bit of just independence in general right <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah that sounds awesome honestly my next question is nuclear energy yes or no yeah i definitely it's, it's really that's a really interesting one because you're hearing a lot about that you're hearing a lot about small nuclear technology and my my hash my home promise is new brunswick and then again we've got such a small problem that we have a nuclear reactor there. So they're definitely supporting that. And, and I get it definitely can produce electricity at a zero carbon rate. I'd be curious to see the actual uh, embodied energy of it is because a nuclear plant usually takes a lot of cement and a lot of resources. So it is a big upfront cost and there's a big upfront carbon cost of building one. So I haven't seen those, uh, the true life cycle costs of what, how that compares to other energies. And it, it's tended to be a fairly capital intensive. So it's not cheap energy by any means. And I guess where I'm really the most troubled by nuclear is, is what do you do with the waste? I don't think I've ever heard anybody come up with a solution to that. I know at some point they were talking about, you know, digging a big hole somewhere in northern Quebec or Newfoundland and stuffing a whole bunch of it down there. And that's what I find is missing from that conversation. What do we do with that other piece? Nuclear energy needs to be looked from that holistic part. Yeah, okay, fine. You'll get zero carbon energy. But what about this thousand years of caring for this pretty toxic stuff? What I think I'm more interested in is, and this is something uh, you don't see a lot, is the nuclear fusion piece. It's been really below the radar. And a lot of advances have happened with nuclear fusion. And what that provides is kind of something similar where you've got, you know, you can take a fairly easily defined element, which is usually some kind of isotope of hydrogen, and you basically fuse it to make helium, which funny enough, there's, there's a big need for it. And it's actually a valuable commodity. But what you get is very little to no waste. And, and what you get has a very smaller uh, life than and on the fission side. In some ways, people call it fruit, like the best source of clean energy. Uh, no one's done it commercially yet, but you have a couple of actual commercial ventures that are actually working towards it. And, and it sounds like within the next 10 years, we might see a major breakthrough. So if that happens, I think the days of nuclear fission will be done. And so, so I think that's, to me, I think that's really the future of nuclear. So yeah, Nick laid that out pretty perfectly. Fission is what we use now. We split helium to make two hydrogen atoms along with a ton of electricity. 
while the other form of nuclear energy would smash two hydrogen atoms together to create helium and a ton of energy. Fusion would theoretically create even less nuclear waste, which can affect organisms in an area, and also that waste would become less dangerous faster than fission's waste. Nuclear is, like he says, a carbon-free energy source, but it does have other issues. It costs a ton of time and energy to build a nuclear reactor, and it also requires a lot of concrete and steel to actually build the plant itself. Even more resources, including fossil fuels, have to be used to continually mine uranium for use in nuclear plants. Nuclear isn't all bad, and honestly, I haven't come to a personal conclusion on whether nuclear is something we need more of or not, which is why at some point there will be an episode that solely focuses on nuclear that will go deeper into this topic. So keep up with the show to hear whenever that episode comes out, but it could be a little bit yet. You hear that about nuclear fusion kind of floating around, and I didn't know that they were actually kind of pursuing it as much as they are. I thought it was more of just an idea, but nuclear as it is right now, it's just a tough question. Yes or no, like, how do you even decide that? You have to look at the resource cost, you have to look at the cost of the waste and compare that to the actual benefits of it. And then when you get into the health risks of it too, it's just so complicated that it's it's really hard to deal with. But when you bring in that fusion piece, then it's a totally different story. If they could figure that out, it would it really would completely transformationally revolutionize the entire energy industry, right? And that's your piece of, about nuclear, right? When you talk to someone who lives in Japan, where the Fukushima disaster was something they lived through, they have a very different context of nuclear power and there's very little support there and you'd, you'd say the same thing in germany for anybody you mentioned chernobyl right where this big cloud of stuff had an impact so so that's the piece that's not discussed as much i don't know if we've really mastered the risks and some say this new technology you know might not have those risks but then there's still the question of what you do with the garbage yeah that's always the question we'll just have to kind of wait and see how the bigger picture works out for nuclear my next question is Rate on a scale of 1 to 10 the importance of individual action. Now, individual action can include things like being aware of the products you buy, making sure that they're coming from a sustainable source or as sustainable as possible, to your own lifestyle, like just taking care of what you own, taking care of your energy costs, everything like that. And then even like pursuing these individual projects like My Living City, getting involved, volunteering, getting involved with the kind of social aspect of it, protests, things like that. How important are these things? I would say it's vital. Even if an organization makes a difference, it's because one person said it's not going like this anymore. Because as, as a group, unless there's one person that does that, at least one, the, the organization is going to keep doing what it's doing. So it's vital that people start stepping up either as their own individual actions, their own taking care of their own impacts, or in whatever organization or groups they're in, they really take the leadership to say, wait a minute, this is nuts. We need to do things differently. Now, how do we do this? It might not seem like anyone can do one thing, but every one thing that you do has an impact. And that impact is multiplied exponentially if it can be involved with a big company or an organization or anything like that. I think that's a great answer, honestly. My final question 
is a bit longer if you need a bit more time. Given everything you're seeing in all of your work, do you believe that we can decarbonize all of our infrastructure and all of our systems from how we live and how we move and how we make energy in general? Do you think we can decarbonize that and reach carbon neutrality by 2050? Absolutely. It's, there's no reason why we can't. Technology-wise, totally possible. And again, you're, you're starting to see that the models show it, it's possible. And of course, everybody says how hard it'll be. It's hard because it's going to take us to do something, take a different action. We just can't stop just you know doing the same thing. And the other piece of why I think it's definitely going to happen is the, the, the amount of innovation and change and the rate of it. I'm, I'm just like amazed. It's only really been the last maybe year I've been really looking into this. Like, like you said, I have my own podcast. I've been interviewing some really cool people. Oh my God. Like every time I hear it, there's this ex- massive acceleration in the way things are happening. Companies looking for alternatives, you know, investment in clean technology. And that's just what the technology we got now. But what's really crazy is what some people are working on and how much of a game change it will be. You know, like based in the next five years, we're going to see stuff that's going to be absolutely revolutionary, whether it's new battery technology, whether it's new ways of making power. All those companies working on fusion, they're saying basically by 2030, they're going to be out on, on the market. So those are going to have some phenomenal shifts. In my opinion, a lot of the predictions we're seeing and what it'll take to get there, they're not accounting for a lot of that massive pace of innovation. They're really looking at, well, the technology that we know of now, what it'll take to get there. But they're not factoring in, well, that, that thing coming out in five years or 10 years that's going to completely change the battery industry, they're not, that's not even a factor in it. I think the next 10 years are going to be maybe the most chaotic in a way, but definitely the most change that we'll see on, on, the, on the energy side. And, and really, once we hit 2030, we'll have a better view what it looks at 2050. But in my mind, if a companies haven't shifted by then, the ones that are waiting till 2050 to, to get there, they're going to be playing catch up with the companies that are going to get there by 2030. That really is amazing to see this innovation taking place like right in front of us. All these things are coming together to create just fundamentally different world that we're going to live in in a few years in the best way possible. I mean, the first episode I did of this podcast was on hydrogen. And hydrogen, like, it's being used in certain things, mostly just fertilizer right now. But when you look at how that can be used in the future, it's just, like, it's incredible. From vehicles to heating and everything like that, I'm really optimistic that all of these things are going to come together to create that world that we are, we're hoping for, and, like, there is no real alternative to it. And, and I just want to make a point because I actually had a whole series on hydrogen. And what's happening right now is we're fueling cars and ships with hydrogen. We're, we're creating it off of excess solar and wind power. So, uh, so it's, it's happening right now, which is quite amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Nick. Uh, is there somewhere that people can find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, totally. They can check out uh, mylivingcity.org. You know, anybody who's interested to, you know, be part of our project, to you know, sign up their city when it becomes available. Uh, if you'd like to know more about the interviews I've been doing, I've got a Road to Zero Future Proof podcast. So you can check me out on futureproof-network.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure to put links to all of that in the show notes so that people can can find you. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for talking to me about this new infrastructure development platform that you guys are working on. 
it's honestly amazing that we're going to see this coming online in just a little bit. And I can't wait to keep up with all your, all your updates and everything like that. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for the great work you're doing. Well, I would say that was a pretty interesting conversation featuring Nick LeBlanc, the founder of My Living City, developing a new system that includes citizens in the building of projects in their communities. I realize that this episode is slightly less focused on climate technology directly, but creating more inclusiveness in governance and project development gives people more power to control their communities. And with the rise of environmental concern and drive for change, that can only be a good thing. If you want to check out the interface itself, I'll put a link to My Living City in the show notes, along with Nick's podcast, Road to Zero. Thanks for listening and learning about this with me. Is there a project that you would like to see developed if My Living City came to your city? Tag or message the show at Innovating a Bright Future on Instagram or A Innovating on Twitter and let us know. If you enjoyed the episode and you're liking the show, please share it with someone close to you and get them into the show. If you really like it, you can follow us on socials in the show notes and let your own social media know that you listen to the show. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, thanks for supporting the show. Stay innovative, and I'll see you next week.